quick little disclaimer before we jump into today's episode. All episodes after the week of September 14th are pre-recorded because I had a baby. (laughs) In an effort to really step into motherhood and get to know my baby, as well as learn my new role as a mom, I'm taking some time off of work, which includes this podcast. So if you hear me talking about being pregnant in this episode, don't worry. I'm not still pregnant. I had the baby. I just recorded this before I had him. So just thought I'd clear the air in case you guys were confused. I will be back recording new episodes with more current life updates about me and baby and how I'm doing as a mom in the middle of October. All right, let's get back to the episode. Just Man's the Podcast. What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Amanda. Welcome back to another episode of Just Man's the Podcast. I am so happy you guys are here today. I am so pumped about this episode. I've been wanting to do an episode on mindfulness and meditation for so long, so I'm so happy we got around to doing it. September is definitely a month of change. It's a transition period. The leaves are changing. Everything's evolving around us. And we as people are evolving too. Usually September is the month where people are going back to school. They're getting new jobs. They're moving into new apartments. I just had a baby. Things are changing in September. And now more than ever, it's so important to remain present. It's hard, but it's so important. This episode is for anyone looking to become more mindful, intentional, and present in their day-to-day lives. If you have experimented with meditation or mindfulness in the past and it hasn't worked for you, listen to this episode. We give so many good tips on how to get started and how to sustain a mindfulness practice. Today, our guest is Molly Woodhall of Woodhall Wellness, which is a corporate wellness consulting company, which aims to inspire positivity and clarity in decision-making by leading individuals towards building a meaningful toolkit of meditation techniques to improve life in and out of the office. If you're like, Amanda, what the heck is a corporate wellness consultant? Don't worry. We get into it in this episode, and it's basically the coolest job I've ever heard of. Mindfulness and meditation is a huge part of my daily routine. I love to do it in the morning. I love to do it through breath work and just sitting there in silence with myself and getting in touch with my thoughts and my feelings and really just bringing myself back to the present moment. But I know that mindfulness and meditation, especially a mindfulness and meditation practice that you do daily, is so hard for some people. And they don't know where to begin. And even if they do start, they find it hard to keep up with it. So again, this is the episode for you. Molly is so knowledgeable in the world of mindfulness and she really just helps to make it flexible and make it work for you. That's something that I really, really wanted to bring Molly on for is she's so about catering to the unique individual and creating a mindfulness and meditation practice that works for them. Because the the reality of it, like everything in life, nutrition, fitness, everything, what works for somebody is not going to work for you. And it 
it could, but most likely what resonates with you is going to look different from the next person because we're all different human beings. So we really break it down on how to really incorporate wellness and mindfulness and meditation into your day to day and make it unique to you and something that you can sustain. So again, if you are interested in mindfulness and meditation and just becoming more present in life, then definitely keep on listening. Something that I saw on your website actually was a statistic that you posted saying, according to Harvard, we spent almost 47% of our lives lost in thought. Yes. That is mind boggling to me. It's crazy. So um, yeah, according to Harvard Business School, uh, they did this really cool, um, I guess, Harvard Business Review excuse me. They did this <laughs> no really one. cool, um, investigation on mindfulness and meditation. And so, um, they gave all their participants, they asked them if they would be okay with, um, having some text messages come their way throughout, um, you know, the day for a certain period of time. And in those text messages, it asked, where are you? What are you doing? And what are you thinking about? And it found that almost 47% of our waking lives, our minds are wandering. That's crazy. That's almost 50%. Just hearing that is kind of like a slap in the face. It's like a wake up call. I'm like making more of a conscious effort after hearing that to, to notice when I'm lost in thought. And I think that's kind of the, the entity of mindfulness for me. I always, always say whenever I'm practicing mindfulness is it's about realizing that your mind is drifting and then bringing it back to the present. I want you to kind of speak on that a little bit because that's what you do. Wow. Amanda, I actually really appreciate you saying that because a lot of, there are a lot of misconceptions um, in terms of what mindfulness and what meditation is. And it was really just a practice of focusing on one thing at a time, whatever that is. You could listen to a song. You could be focusing on the sensation of your feet as you run. Um, You could, you know, it could be whatever. It could be your breath. It could be a poem. And you're focusing on that one thing and you'll notice your mind wandering. And when you notice, you bring your awareness back. And that is really the process of meditation um, is becoming more familiar with your mind's tendency to wander, noticing that and bringing your awareness back. I think it's so uncomfortable for people to start meditation or start a mindfulness practice because they don't think they're doing it right because their mind is wandering. and. They think that, you know, if I'm meditating, I have to sit there and say, ohm and just think about nothing. <laughs> I definitely was there at a point. Did you ever struggle with meditation? Is that how you got into this? Or tell us how you got into the line of work sure. that you're in. Well, absolutely. You know, meditation is simple, but not easy, right? And everybody thinks that they should just be able to like do it. And we've heard the analogy about how meditation and becoming uh, a good meditator, quote unquote, is takes practice just like building a muscle at the gym. And it, that statement could not be more true. Um, so our meditation practice looks different depending on where we are in our lives, where we live, our age, our job. And so I'm really passionate about helping people find um, meditation practices that feel good for them. The way I meditate might not feel good to you and that's okay. Um, you know, micro meditations might be your way to go. You know, one thoughtful breath to maybe one minute of thoughtful breathing throughout your day. And maybe I have a really solid 30 minute 
formal practice where I sit every day. Um, but it takes time to figure those things out, or it takes having a really thoughtful conversation with somebody like me and helping you figure out what your practice might look like. Um, but yeah, I started getting interested in meditation during college, at the end of college. Cause I was like looking for a job and I was like, God, what do I do? Like, I'm so anxious. Who's gonna hire me? I've had no experience. Like, what do I work in sales? Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. and, and sales is cool if you want to work in sales, but I didn't know. And so I was really anxious and I started focusing on meditation and just exploring. And um, it began to really help me with my anxiety and um, it helped me kind of cope and move through that time in my life without getting too stuck in like that anxiety, but noticing it and, and moving on. I want to say one thing real quick, just because yeah. being a, a recent college graduate, yeah. I so feel that. And what I think I've just kind of had a revelation. I think that so many college students come out of college so confused, like you said, or so anxious about not having, you know, a job right away or not really knowing what they do. But I think it's because a lot of people don't implement mindfulness in college. I think that because we don't sit with ourselves and we don't get in touch with our thoughts and who we are and what we want while we're in college, we come out of it like, what? What do we yes. do now? Oh my God. Yes. Okay. So that just brings me to something, which was after working in spinal cord injury recovery through adaptive yoga, and I worked in wilderness therapy, I used my own meditation practice with my clients, but I never had any training. And so I did this course um, through Duke University called Koru Mindfulness. And I became a teacher and it's all focused on teaching mindfulness and meditation to emerging adults. So people in college and getting out of college because we really don't learn these, these tools. There's so many tips and tricks um, that, that we'll go over later that you can learn to help manage your stress and anxiety on an everyday basis. And so I was like, obviously really close to that age. I was like, I wish that I had had meditation in school or at least right when I got out of it, like I wish somebody had been teaching me. And so um, I started working with the Koru Mindfulness Institute, Duke, and um, worked there for a little while afterward, actually helping to develop and grow the program. So it's so awesome that you say that because yes, I agree for all of the college students and young people listening, like reach out to us, we have tools for you. Like really, um, we can help you in this big time where you're trying to step into a new life and make decisions. And why don't we do that with a sense of clarity and love and kindness instead of like just making all these decisions about our next step, you know, it with anxiety and a rushed quickness to them because we just feel like we got to go, go, go. That makes me so happy that there's a program out there that is specifically geared towards emerging adults because I just think that there's a misconception within the wellness space that when you do get to a point where you're practicing mindfulness and meditation, it's a very like perfectionism point mm -hmm. of view where it's like, mm -hmm. when I get my life together, I'll have a self-care routine. I'll have a, a meditation practice. I'll have a mindfulness practice, but it's like, it's important to do those things when you're not in a good place or when you're not in a, in a, when you're in a moment of transition in your life. I think that's so important. Oh my gosh. I, I couldn't agree more. When I get my life together, it's like, what if we change 
What if we reframe our understanding of mindfulness and meditation or of wellness routines? And why don't we set ourselves up for success one step at a time? Do something that feels good. People are always asking me, how do you make yourself meditate? And I say, I don't make myself meditate. I do what feels good. First of all, I've created a routine for myself that, that makes sitting down in the morning feel easeful and natural. And that took a little bit of time. But I didn't, when I started this routine, I didn't sit down and say, you have to sit for 20 minutes or else you're a failure. I sat on my meditation cushion or on the ground on my yoga mat, wherever in my bed, and I took a few deep breaths to start. And it's one thing after another, one day after another, that, that helps you build these really cool wellness routines. And in the, in the meantime, um, you know, I was, I was doing something love, loving and kind and mindful for myself. Just taking one breath is better than nothing. I really love that when we were first talking, you've touched on how you you tell your clients it's unique to the individual and everybody's mindfulness or meditation practice isn't going to look the same. And I think that's so important because I think when people look at one person or they do look at these perfectionism routines of wellness on social media, they're like, well, I don't, mine doesn't look like that. And, and I, you know, can't commit to that on a day-to-day basis. So I'm not going to sustain it, but it's so important to be flexible because not only is that going to reduce your anxiety of like everything needs to be perfect, but like it, it is more realistic and allows you to be like, okay, this is something I can implement in my day to day. And I have to acknowledge that every day is going to look different. Absolutely. I mean, that's such a bigger message too. Like your meditation is going to look different every day. Uh, the, pe- the way people show up in your life is going to look different. You know, what happens in your job is going to look different. Like everything changes and, and evolves. And so that's why in meditation, we talk a lot about this idea of non-attachment. So not holding too tightly on expectations. That doesn't mean we can't set goals. That just means that maybe we have a goal like, Ooh, I want to be, I want to get a job in three months or whatever. Like if you don't get a job at that three month mark it's not holding on so tightly and thinking okay i didn't do it i'm a failure now it's saying okay let's ebb and flow let's change this up like maybe i need to reach out to different companies in a different way you know um and and allowing for that natural um the natural evolution of accomplishing goals you know what i mean totally when you started your mindfulness journey did you have a spiritual awakening of any sorts (laughs) that's a good question okay I think I think I started meditating when I was like 10 going on these um wilderness trips up in northern Canada and I would go on them as like a summer camp thing and every year I would come back and I was so freaking centered I was like I know what's important in my life it's my parents and my dog you know whatever it was at 10 I was like I know that I'm not perfect, but I am like here to do my best. And I always felt so good. And I really think it was because I was meditating the whole time. I was like canoeing and I was like just the same thing over and over again, you know, just looking at nature. Um, So I realized that in college after I started meditating a little bit, I was like, oh, this is why I love being outside because it's so grounding. Um, And it almost like puts you into this meditative state, like it kind of 
almost forces you into it because the world is so big and you can't help but just observe what's around you and in that moment you're present. Um, so I didn't have one awakening, but after meditating for a little while, I realized like, oh my God, I think I've been meditating since I was like 10. I just, I didn't know what it was. Like meditation doesn't have to be sitting on the floor, just like you said, cross-legged. Like we can make it look however we want. And again, going back to the expectations, I think so many people start a self-care routine or a wellness routine or a meditation and mindfulness practice expecting to have that one moment where it's like, ah, oh, everything clicks now. I'm like a yeah. changed person when it's like, it's probably not realistic for everybody. No, definitely not. You're going to see, you will see changes in your everyday life, in your, how, how you feel, how you communicate with people. If you start to incorporate meditation and mindfulness into your life. And at one point you're going to have a day where you wake up and you're going to be like, wow, I feel a lot calmer or I felt a lot calmer for the last month than I have in a long time. And I'm realizing that's a pattern now for me, but are you going to have this like crazy epiphany? Like maybe not. Um, but there is an opportunity to feel like, um, sometimes when you really get deep into meditation, you almost feel as though you're floating and, um, that is accessible to all people, but you really got to get into it. So it takes a little while. I want to get into what exactly a corporate wellness consultant is, but first, can you explain a little bit behind the science of breath work and meditation and mindfulness in terms of what it actually does physically in your body? Sure. Um, so our breath is important, right? We know that we our breath is part of our autonomic nervous system. So we breathe automatically. Um, and that's great. But as the years have gone on and we have evolved as humans, what um, the way our brain reacts to hardship and adversity, anxiety is a little bit antiquated. So when you feel stressed, your body reacts by secreting hormones um, to like help you respond to whatever that stress and anxiety might be. So a long time ago, like you've heard, that was like a saber tooth tiger, like coming to like attack you. Now it's just like opening up your inbox and they're like 2000 emails and they're like, what the heck's going on? Mm. Different stressors, same physiological response. So in meditation, when we breathe, when we take a few moments, even like when you open that inbox and you choose to, instead of responding quickly, you take a deep breath bringing that oxygen into your body and into your brain, you're letting your body know that you can sit and relax. You can be in rest and digest. Um, and so that's, that's your parasympathetic nervous system. So instead of living in the sympathetic nervous system, the one that says fight or flight, um, be anxious, you got to run, 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 solve these problems. You can take a deep breath and move into the parasympathetic nervous system, the part of our body that says it's okay, rest and digest. Do you think it takes longer for some people to get there in terms of how many breaths they need to do or how long they need to sit there? Definitely. I mean, it depends how much anxiety you have, how long it's been since you did something caring for yourself, like how elevated your body is. If you're in, if you're in fight or flight every day of your life and you haven't done anything to manage that stress, you wake up early, you go straight to your text messages or your phone, literally work all through the day, don't eat something good for lunch, go to bed late, thinking about your emails, like that person might take a little bit longer to really change. 
the physiological makeup. Having said that, taking one breath for that person will make a huge impact. So as I have evolved my meditation practice, it's easier for me to drop into meditation. My body is more used to finding that space of balance and calm. Um, having said that, everybody taking a deep breath will feel the physiological change, um, the difference in their body. Does that make sense? Totally. And I can so relate to what you were saying about those people who wake up and they get on their phone and then they go to work and then they work all day. It's I've had those days. I mean, I think everybody has. And I have moments at the end of the day, it's like 6 p.m., where I step back from my computer. I'm like, oh, I'm like in reality right now. Like there's a world around me. And it's the most like anxiety inducing feeling in the world because I'm like, I've been so zoned in on this one thing that's kind of raised my cortisol, my stress, everything. And then I take a step back and I'm like, I don't even recognize like where I am. I could be anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's so crazy. And I think some on those days when I do step back, I go back to my breath and it helps me so much. Even if it's just like laying on my bed and focusing on my breath, not even taking deep breaths, but just like centering my attention there. It's, it makes a world of difference. Absolutely. I mean, that really... I know we're gonna to cover tips and tricks later about like how to incorporate meditation into our lives, but it, it brings me naturally to this idea of routine, like, um, or, or ritual or, or doing things that feel good for you in your everyday life. Like I absolutely have had the days where I wake up early and I think about it all the way through the night. Yesterday was kind of one of those days for me. I was, and so today, before I got up, when I was, when I, after my alarm, I put a hand on my chest and a hand on my belly and I took a few thoughtful breaths. I didn't go straight to my phone. I went downstairs, talked to my partner. I tried to do, I I tried to keep a little bit of space for myself to like wake up. So instead of going straight to my phone again, I said, okay, today's a new day. Let's let's start this day with a bit more intention. Um, Set yourself up for success. And making those really small changes has really affected how I feel today. Like I don't have that tightness in my chest. I'm a lot, um, I'm thinking more clearly. So do you think it's because a lot of people have forgot that our bodies are so connected to our minds? Oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. It is all connected. It's all of it's connected. I mean, um, That's why, I mean, you can learn so much about what your body's telling you in mindfulness because you develop an awareness of your body and your mind in the present moment. And our bodies tell us a lot. Like next time you're at your computer and you're like feeling anxious, tap into your body. What's it doing? Like most likely your shoulders are all the way up to your ear. You're going like this and you're like hunched over. (laughs) And the minute I relax my shoulders, I'm like, I feel totally different. Yeah. I even say this with people who I'm not a nutritionist, but I kind of had a nutrition journey where I had a really bad relationship with food and then yeah. I got out of it. And I even say this with people with nutrition. I'm like, if you just listen to your body and stop telling it what it wants, it's going to tell you what it wants and everything's going to fall into place. Yes. Oh, yes. It all becomes more useful but we have to listen. That's the thing. We're going so quickly that we've forgotten that our body tells us so much. Like we, there are too many things, too many, too many other, um, distractions and 
the noise, you know, our, the, what our body is telling us has just kind of gotten blocked out. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. To go off of the distractions aspect. So I think what we were saying earlier too, I think a lot of the reason why people aren't as confident or just not okay with where they are in in life is because they're not really okay to with being alone. Mm. And I think that's a big reason why someone doesn't embark on a mindfulness practice or a meditation practice is because they don't like being alone. So what are your like starter kit tips for someone who wants to develop a meditation or mindfulness practice, but doesn't know where to start? Totally. Well, in terms of being alone and feeling like, Okay, so I think what's really interesting is our fear of our emotions and of being alone and of not succeeding. They're a lot scarier when you don't confront them. So the minute you sit down and you just choose to uh, be just with yourself um, and you say, okay, for four minutes, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be quote unquote alone. And then you do it and you get out of that four minutes and maybe you feel more relaxed. You realize that that sensation, that emotion that arises for you is valid, but it is not as scary as you think. And so, um, you know, I encourage people to sit down with, you know, whatever is bringing them anxiety, um, to know that if they arise in a meditation, that is okay. That is only new information to help you move on from that emotion. Um, and, and then you can go forth in your everyday life. Do you think there's yeah. a threshold of when you're sitting in a meditation and you know you might be feeling super anxious to begin with and then you sit there and the anxiety is building and it's building and it's building. Do you think there's a threshold that like if someone just kind of sat there a little bit longer, it would go away? Um, sometimes there are days where that, anxiousness doesn't totally disappear. I think something that's important to know is as you sit on the cushion and you hear those thoughts or those feelings of anxiety arise, um, you're, uh, you're helping. It might not all, it might not totally disappear, but the rest of your day will go better. Like I think about anxiety as like your next door neighbor who's super annoying and you're like, please stop bringing me cookies like I'm trying to be healthy and I'm also gluten-free I can't but she won't stop delivering them unless you open the door instead of trying to ignore her and say hey neighbor thank you so much this is really nice but I don't need these anymore and I think about anxiety is the same thing so as we sit in meditation and all that anxiousness arises as long as we're noticing it and then trying to let it go and bringing our awareness back we're kind of like recognizing it and giving it permission to move on. So you might feel the results like, you know, that moment. You also might feel it like later in the afternoon. So go, to go back to your tips, your starter kit tips, what are, what are some of these things? Okay. So um, I've kind of mentioned some of them before sort of in this, but the way you wake up is important. Do not go straight to your phone. Do not respond to your text messages, your emails, look at your calendar or go on Instagram. I want you to wake up, take a breath, and do something before you get on technology. So that could be um, that could be sitting and meditating, that could be going for a walk, making coffee, but I want you to be present in that one activity. It doesn't have to be long. Scientifically, you would wanna spend like 
maybe an hour between waking up and going to work, but we don't have to start there, right? So that could be a goal. We're just gonna start with waking up with intention, not going to tech and doing something beforehand. Taking a breath, making coffee, being present. Um, the second tip for me, um, for everyone, is micro meditation. So I mentioned that one breath to one minute of thoughtful breathing. Honestly, we should just do one together right now because micro meditation. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So putting both feet on the ground, um, or just getting comfortable wherever you are, and then closing your eyes. And taking a big inhale through the nose, filling the belly up with air and feeling a sense of fullness at the top of your breath. And then exhaling through your mouth, releasing all the tightness and tension. And let's do one more, inhaling through the nose, filling the belly up, slowly feeling that sensation of fullness and then exhaling through the mouth, Slowly allowing all the air to exhale. And then returning to your natural rhythm of breath. And then opening your eyes. Ah, oh, I feel so refreshed. Seriously, it's amazing. Yeah. And it also just like gives you so much clarity. I feel like even just doing this in the middle of the podcast, I feel like a lot of people don't like silence in the middle of a flowing conversation. Yeah. And it makes them uncomfortable. But right. I think if we all normalize that a little bit more of, you know, taking a breath before you speak or taking yeah. a second to respond, I think I think our conversations would be better. Oh my god. Yes. Like in uh sacrificing potential awkwardness for two breaths, I personally feel like everything around me is moving almost like more slowly, I feel more present, like I am fully here. That makes me a better person to interview. That makes you a better interviewer. Like, yes. So everybody listening, if you just do two breaths like that, you can just start there. It'll change your day. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and know that you can do it, you know, when you wake up, you could do it before a hard conversation. You're also allowed to breathe after you've been aggravated. Like instead of letting those emotions continue to like quadruple and get worse, why don't you take a deep breath after a crappy conversation and recenter? And then at least you have some more clarity in how you respond to this person or whatever. Are you tired of compromising your health for convenience? Look no further. I'm here talking to you guys about my favorite clean energy bar on the market today. That is Patter Bar. You guys, this bar is for food lovers made by food lovers. They have three different flavors, coconut and cashew, blueberry and lemon, and fruit, nut, and seed. My personal favorite is the coconut cashew because I'm a sucker for all things coconut. Get ready for the best part though. Patter Bar doesn't use any non-food ingredients, so no added sugars, no sweeteners, no natural flavors, no preservatives, additives, binders, or fillers, no powders, extracts, or oils. When I say this is literally the cleanest energy bar out there, I mean it. It's made with 100% real foods, and right now they source their ingredients from family-owned farms because they're committed to lowering their carbon footprint and bringing the best quality ingredients to the consumer. By 2021, they even plan to transition to compostable packaging. But most importantly, their goal is to provide you with food that you can trust by being completely transparent with their ingredients. Let me just read you some of the ingredients in the blueberry lemon bar. 
unsweetened dried blueberries, medjool dates, who doesn't love a date, sesame seeds, sunflower seeds, pepitas, ginger, tahini, lemon, and sea salt. That's it. You want to know why I love Pata Bar so much? Besides being absolutely delicious, I feel full after I eat one. I don't know about you, but when I snack on a bar, I want it to hold me over. I want to feel satisfied. I want to be filled up. And this is literally the only bar out there that does that for me. If you guys want to get your hands on some Patter Bars, you can go to patterbar.com. That's P-A-T-T-E-R-B-A-R.com and use the code JUSTMANS2020 to get 15% off your order. I recommend that you guys buy the variety pack so you can try out all the flavors. I guarantee you will be obsessed. Again, that code is JUSTMANS2020 at patterbar.com at checkout for 15% off your order. Now let's get back to the episode. I actually have a question about that I was going to ask. So yeah. do you think it's, do you think there's a specific time that's best for meditation during the day, whether that's morning, whether that's night, do you think it depends on what the person needs? Uh, so traditionally you would maybe recommend to start in the morning. I think in terms of setting yourself up for success for the rest of the day, the morning is what I would suggest. I, I talk about it as putting on your mental and emotional armor. So you wake up in the morning, you're kind of fresh, and you could either go straight into anxiety and let all the checklist items like overwhelm you, or you could take a few deep breaths, put on that mental and emotional armor, and feel ready for the rest of your day. Um, and that really changes the way you show up in everything. Um, having said that, I really, like we touched on, I'm really passionate about meeting people where they are. And so... If that doesn't feel accessible for you, I want you to take the deep breaths whenever you can and find your meditation practice whenever it feels best for you. So maybe that starts with when you go to bed because you're not totally asleep and maybe you need to calm down. Maybe you take a few deep breaths like before you fall asleep and um, you know, trusting that slowly as you do things that feel good, you want to keep doing them and you may, you will grow your meditation practice and it will evolve in a way that serves you. Something I saw on your Instagram when I was stalking you before this, this interview, <laughs> I saw you posted a video about using the breath to both energize yourself and relax yourself. Yes. Can you speak about that a little bit? Yes. I'm like, I absolutely love this. There's so many breath techniques you could do like breath of fire is one. Um, but if we're connecting it to the micro meditations, the tip we're already doing, right? So one thoughtful breath to one minute, thoughtful breathing. Um, the way we breathe changes the experience for us. So if we inhale for a count of, let's say four and we exhale for a count of five or six, if the exhale is long and drawn out, that is relaxing for our body. It tells us we can sit and rest and digest. Our parasympathetic nervous system can just be doing its thing. Um, all that jazz. If we switch our breath and we inhale for maybe five and we exhale more quickly for like three, for a kind of three or kind of four, we're energizing the body. Um, and so in that way, um, the way we change our breath changes the experience for us, and therefore more quick exhales help energize the body and the brain. Um, and just a quick addition to that is that we all move through, just like 
our meditations look different. We all move through stress and anxiety differently. So sometimes like I need to chill out and I need my body to just remember that it's okay. Other times I like have to go for a run or do some crazy like energetic breathing practices because maybe that's how I'm going to move through my stress. Maybe that's how I'm going to like feel clear. Um, and so it's just an offering that there are multiple ways to meditate. It's not just like falling asleep on your couch. I'm interested to know if you use more breath work to energize yourself or if you drink caffeine and coffee. <laughs> oh, I do both. <laughs> um, so I try to, you'll see me sometimes on my Instagram, like in the middle of the afternoon doing like chicken breath, which is like a great, silly breath technique. That's pretty much me doing it because I'm like, okay, be accountable because you're tired and you've already had two glasses of yeah. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so I wake up, I like coffee in the morning. If I want something else to sip on, I try not to have two, more than two cups of coffee a day. Um, and that's when the breath work comes in like in the afternoon. I think that's so smart because sometimes when I drink coffee or even matcha, like, yeah, it'll energize me, but it makes me so much more anxious sometimes. Oh, of course. Yeah. For yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. So I think if we can use other things like breath work, I don't think people realize that you can use your breath to really energize yourself. No, I, I do think sometimes with breath work, especially energizing breath work, you, you got to commit, you got to really yeah. do it. Because if you're sitting there like, and you think that that's like, maybe your exhale is just like 0.5 milliseconds faster than it was before, like you're probably not going to feel very much. So you do yeah. have to feel silly. Yeah. But I think that that's a good thing. We're so like stressed and we're so like serious all of a sudden. I think, I think all adults should do chicken breath, like flap their wings and like do this silly breath technique because it's good to feel lighthearted. Like we need that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just picturing us getting to a point where like there's, we're in a workplace and a bell goes off and everyone just starts doing like a chicken breath. <laughs> they should. You can do it by yourself. You can go like outside. I mean, there are other ways to breathe, but. No, I think that's so important because something that I find interesting about quote unquote adulthood or adulting is like, yeah we don't have an imagination anymore. We don't get curious. We don't like to ask questions. And it's like, yeah. why did becoming adult make you this like serious person who forgot how to like be a fun, goofy human being? Like, why does that, why does fun and goofy equal immature? I just don't, I don't get it. A hundred percent. I think we get overwhelmed by the reality of our world. I mean, there's a lot of dark stuff out there, but in, this is just another reason why meditation is important. Like we can create that mental and emotional fortitude, our ability to bounce back from hardship. Um, we become better able to respond to adversity and hardship in our lives when we meditate because focusing our breath is hard. It's difficult. Our brain doesn't know the difference between learning something terrible on the news and trying really hard to focus on our breath. Both feel hard. And so as we practice meditation, we become more resilient and better to deal with all of that stuff instead of getting bogged down by the darkness because there is a lot of, there is a lot of stuff in our world. It's not perfect. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's, uh, getting older and more mature doesn't have to mean losing our childlike, um, you know, lightheartedness or goofiness. Um, and it's like, why do people not want to do chicken breath? 
because they're nervous to look silly. It's like, why? Yeah. I like people who are silly and most other people do. So it's these, also these social norms that are just really ingrained into our society. So it's a whole thing. (laughs) I think as time goes on and this conversation happens and more conversations happen, like Definitely, we probably will get to a point where everybody's doing chicken broth at three o'clock in the afternoon to energize them for the last two hours. That's the world that I want to live in. Let's let's try to get there. <laughs> You're doing it. One podcast at a time, Amanda. You <laughs> so I do want to speak a little bit about, you know, the climate of the world right now and how sure. it is really dark for a lot of people. And I think when we talk about meditation and mindfulness, sometimes the biggest reason we talk about it is just stress and anxiety. Yeah. Do you think that I can help people with depression too, who are in a really sad place? Because I know people who do suffer from depression and maybe those are the people that don't really like to be alone and they're scared of their, their thoughts. So do you think it can look different, a mindfulness and meditation practice for someone who has anxiety versus someone who has depression and how can they, can they really utilize it? Sure. Definitely. So people who are really depressed or sad, a lot of the time it's hard to notice the patterns that are happening in your life. Like it's hard to um, hear what you need because you're just like so bogged down by that sadness. And so when we sit in meditation, maybe it's scary to be alone, but all the emotions that arise or the lack of emotion that arises for you in your meditation practice is all information. So maybe write that down, journal about your experience. If you're really trying to move on from depression, you have to let your body and your mind and your heart um, talk to you kind of. I mean, that sounds a little bit woo-woo, but we have really strong intuitions, right? Like all of us can feel when somebody's looking behind us, right? That same intuition that knows somebody's looking also knows what's going on internally. So sitting in meditation helps us to... um, notice what's going on so we can take that information and move forward and and change our lives um but it also feels good like anybody who is depressed is going to uh feel better if they take a few moments to just physiologically change the way their body feels like no matter what's going on in their mental state if it's stressed and depressed and anxious, that's being reflected in your hormones. So if you take a few deep breaths, like that changes the hormonal balance in your body and therefore will change the way you feel. So um, yeah, I think this is really for everybody. Another thing that I really think that I'm interested in is Mm -hmm. how meditation can counteract addiction. I think that's something that's super intriguing to me. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on how someone who might have an addictive personality or struggle with like a substance that they're addicted to, or just really anything that's obsessive and addictive, how do you think that meditation can help with that? Uh, Two answers. I'm I'm sure there's more beyond this um, in in my thoughts, because Uh, there's a lot of cool research behind this and um but in terms of counteracting addiction as we meditate and and are mindful 
we sort of develop more willpower, you could say, resilience. So saying no to something that is hard becomes more easeful. It's not easy, but it comes, becomes more easeful, more natural. You also uh, know what is bad for you with, with awareness, with a deeper awareness, it makes it harder to make decisions that are destructive because you, you know deeply how that, is, how that is interacting with your body, how that is affecting your life right in that moment and beyond that because you can't help it because you're aware you have this mindfulness. Um, and so there's that in addition to like physiologically changing the brain and being better able to deal with hardship. So from a physiological level, meditation like rewires the brain. And so we become like just a lot stronger. We can say no to those things. Um, the other really cool part is that a lot of people who have dealt with anxiety or, I mean, who have de dealt with addiction and um, drug abuse find that when they, when they practice deeply in meditation, it almost feels uh, psychedelic or um, as though you're moving into a different realm. It really does. Your brain is wild. Like we don't access a lot of our brain. But in meditation, we can access different parts of our brain that we don't on an everyday basis. And um, you can actually fall into this sensation of kind of floating or being in a different world. It's, it, it is almost like a psychedelic. So for people who, who like that escape, finding a meditation practice can be a different way to um, feel into those sensations. I have totally felt that before. It's almost kind of like a high that you're writing, especially when you just do it in the morning for like five minutes. I have totally noticed that. Totally. And it is a high. It is. You're like giving your brain what it wants. And like in a really green energy, sustainable way, like yeah. the coolest part of this is it's unlimited. You don't have to go anywhere else to find your breath. Like it's in you. You have it. Um, so really cool. And I think, I think a lot of people don't look at meditation and mindfulness as a tool that they can really utilize in their toolkit. I don't think that right. they, they see it as something that they can just pull out of their back pocket. I think sometimes it's intimidating. And I think it's something that yeah. they look at as like, like they dread or something. It's totally intimidating. I think that's just a lack of like understanding of really what it is. And also, you know, our society is becoming more familiar with meditation and mindfulness. And so our understanding of it is changing and evolving. And, you know, a few years ago, it was more serious. Everybody thought maybe we needed to sit in meditation for a certain period of time every day in order to feel any kind of effects. And then we started getting real interested and did some cool research and realized even one deep breath makes a difference. That's not to say routine and and having um, a very consistent practice isn't important. There is such power in that. Um, but yes, like let us. I want to bring a more lighthearted energy to this practice. Like let's let it go. Let's just do it how it feels good. You know, use a practice that uh, wake up in the morning or do a lot of guided imageries and explore a new world like there are so many cool ways to meditate so 
Well, also too, if we're being more lighthearted about it, we're not as hard on ourselves if we fall off of it or if we don't do it one day or we don't try to sustain this like perfectionist version of it. We just make it something that is flexible and we can incorporate into our lives instead of us trying to like wire our lives around it. Yes, yes, yes. And what a good lesson because we really, you could either say we're all perfect or nobody's perfect, you know, either way, but like, um, we hold so tightly onto like doing everything like right and doing it all perfectly. And it's like, it's okay. If your mind wanders, like let it go. It's okay. If you don't do it for a day, like that is okay. And, um, let's, let's not hold so tightly onto these expectations that we always have to be perfect. And maybe this practice will help you let go of that a little, because once you let that go, um, it, it like, it's almost like freedom. And, and I'm not saying I've totally let go of, uh, my desires to do things really well. Of course I do, but I have to remember that uh, it's okay to be imperfect and that maybe me, um, you know, uh, going with the flow and figuring out, figuring it out the second time around is better anyway. It's, it's just like, maybe we don't have to be perfect in everything. When I think a lot of the reason we think that we have to be perfect isn't because we think that it's because everybody else is doing something that they think that they need to be perfect. And then we compare ourselves to them and we just see all these external people and all these societal people being like, well, I'm doing this. What are you doing? When I feel like if we all just didn't care what everybody else is doing, we'd be a lot more like mindful humans. Totally. Which is hard to do because, you know, we can't help but compare ourselves and and judge people and all those things because to an extent that's human nature yeah um but yes letting go a bit on of other people's uh perspectives and how they perceive you would be extremely helpful in this whole thing i think a lot of this um stems from work environments which is one of the reasons i'm really interested in corporate wellness is like we set these really unrealistic goals for ourselves like we go, go, go. We work so hard. We send emails at 10 PM, but it's like, you don't understand that you're creating, or maybe you do and you've chosen it, but you're creating an unrealistic, unattainable, like job for yourself. You, you have to set boundaries. We need to make sure that our employers and, and the people that are managing us understand that we have to set boundaries for ourselves when we can't send emails at 10 PM every night. And um, so like setting these boundaries and having open conversations about how people make mistakes and that we're not perfect and we can't, we're not robots, like um, is so important. And so that was one of the reasons that I, I wanted to teach in corporate offices. And also just to give people an opportunity to feel cared for because we go, go, go. And we forget that like, we can seek the joy of being alive so we can like feel good. And there's a lot of beauty around us, but we're missing it because we're going too fast. And two, that we deserve to take care of ourselves and that in order to be efficient in our workplace, good communicators and stay for the long haul, not get burnout, we have to have some kind of self-care routine because there are too many ways to communicate, too many tech things coming at us at every minute of the day. Like if we don't create these rituals and routines, like uh, we're definitely going to burn out. I never knew that your job even existed. And I think it's probably one of the coolest jobs that I've ever heard. Can you go into what it really entails a little bit more? Yeah. So I develop mindfulness and meditation programs within organizations. 
So I talk to HR, the head of wellness, and I say, you know, what are your goals in supporting your team? What are some issues in terms of health and wellness? Do people feel like they're productive? Do you have a lot of burnout? Um, you know, what are complaints that you get often? And we figure out what their um, work environment looks like, what their goals are, all those things. And then I work with that company and I, I essentially um, teach all of the employees or everybody who's interested. And I like to do 20 or 30 minute classes over a long period of time. So I'll create um, a, I guess, a curriculum. And over six months, I'll teach once a week or every other week. And we'll learn a little bit each time. We'll talk a little bit about the science behind the project or um, behind the practice. We'll learn a different meditation technique. I'll guide everybody in that. And then I give them the week to practice that. We come back, we talk about it, we talk about the ups and downs, how this helps, and um, we move on to the next thing. So then we've created realistic timelines so people can show up. We've sort of developed a meditation practice and a toolbox of meditation techniques by the end of working with this group after six months. Um, for some companies, I've been working with them for like two years. But it's so that I can help you be accountable to yourself as well. Like I can't go, I can go in and talk one time and like inspire you guys and give you some tips and trip, tricks. But um, if I'm there with you, helping you find your practice, like that is so much more fruitful. After hearing you talk about this, I'm wondering why this isn't implemented in a lot of companies just in in ingrained in their you know their policy or their system and how yeah. their their company functions it's it's so important to foster a commute or a company that you know the employees are really focusing on their well-being because how are they expected to work at their best if they're not focusing on themselves oh my gosh absolutely and um you know people are incorporating it more as time goes on I think one of the reasons I started um, talking to corporations is both my parents are entrepreneurs. I grew up in business and I know how to communicate to people in that environment. You know, somebody who's doing um, meditation classes at a local meditation studio might teach a bit differently than I do. And there's room for both of those. Um, but when I talk to a corporation, I do it in a way that feels really accessible and um, realistic to them. And so I think just finding a teacher that's in alignment with your culture and your um, goals and desires in terms of what your wellness program looks like, and what your employee wellness looks like, um, you know, you just got to find that. And then once you're there, if you have an awesome teacher, then it really can affect the culture um, long term in your business. I'm interested to know what type of businesses you're working with because I'm wondering are all like our finance business doing this or are insurance companies doing this? I'm curious. Yeah, I have worked with so many different companies. I've worked with New York Life. I've worked with um, PopSocket. So, you know, um, very old, massive company, very new startup. I So I work a lot in education. Denver Public Schools is, is a big client of mine. And so I teach teachers how to be mindful and how to incorporate realistic routines. And then they can also teach their students. Um, I teach Boulder Community Health is another great one. So I teach at hospitals. I teach um, 
everybody there. So that's doctors and, and administrative staff, nurses, everybody. Um, yeah, so it, it really, I've worked for real estate companies. I mean, really anybody can, could utilize these skills. What are some ways that someone who works in a office can implement mindfulness and meditation into their daily work environment? Yeah, I think being mindful about taking breaks. So knowing like that it's okay to take a five minute walk to get circulation going, to get your heart pumping, to get some more oxygen into the body. Like that makes a really big difference. The micro, micro meditations apply there too. Um, a really cool way to bring yourself into the present moment is doing something with sensation. So just tracing your hand, um, inhaling as you bring your finger up to the top of the pinky and exhaling as you bring it down and going all the way over the thumb and back. Like you don't have to, that's not disturbing anybody. Um, but taking a moment to do that really can help you sort of, um, de-stress and feel more regulated and then move on with the day. So, I mean, we talk about so many different techniques. I mean, definitely to be a good, um, a good employee in the workplace, that means maybe doing those same, those same rituals as waking up and not going straight to your phone. Like there are so many different to topics really that we could talk about. What do you think about the shift in workplaces to everybody working from home now? What do you think that is going to do for people's mindfulness and also just their well-being? Yeah, this is where ritual and routine becomes really important because like creating a workplace in your house that is your space, maybe commuting to work, like doing all the so going for a walk around your neighborhood and then coming back, like all of those little routines make a huge difference in how you show up. And um, I think some people go up and down, you know, you have a day where you're really productive, other days you're like trying to clean your house. So being aware of that and just honestly, I think it's a great opportunity to learn like where your mind wanders and how to set yourself up for success. So that means maybe tidying up your office at night so that you don't come to it the next day and have it be like, um, you know, really unorganized. Now in a work environment, I'm sure this happens to people. They have a messy desk. They rearrange it in the morning, but you're also in a more closed environment. You're in a container. So if you're not being productive after that, you're, it's, it's so obvious to everybody around you. Whereas here you could get on a kick and now you're like cleaning your whole kitchen and it's 10 AM and like, you should be responding to emails or whatever. <laughs> right. Which is, this is why I actually, I created an online program. So it's a self-led, um, 10 part series and it's all about realistic self-care so it's really helping you develop the foundations of mindfulness and meditation that you need to continue being productive in your life and um you know showing up for yourself a few minutes a day so you can be uh really present when you're working from home and and have really a toolkit of meditation techniques because i think sometimes people are over zoom meetings so because that's getting really tiring and this way you can do a 10 minute thing, like a five minute chat. I'll talk to you on a video for five minutes about a certain meditation. And then like, you know, a 10 minute meditation that I've guided and I'm supporting you through the whole thing, but you get to do it at a time that feels good for you. So 
Who is that for? Is it just for someone who is in the work life who's working from home? It is really for anybody because it's about realistic self-care, but I would, I mean, that I could say that about all the meditation stuff that I teach. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important is like the tips and tricks that I'm teaching you to be a better communicator at work and more efficient and, um, you know, calmer, those, all of those are important in your everyday life. So if you're more communicative, if you're a better communicator in your workplace, you're also probably a better communicator with your partner, your family, your loved ones. So important. Um, but yeah, I've made a course series for corporations that they can purchase. And I tailor that um, to each organization. So if I talk to an organization and we're like, okay, this is what we need. We want to do a self-led program. I can... I add a few things, tweak a few videos, subtract an ad for them, and then that's their program. They get it for a year, and all their all the employees have access to this program. So they got limited access. They can download all the meditations. Really cool. And then I have made one for the community. So anybody who wants to buy the program as an individual, and um, it's really affordable for how much content is in there. And um, yeah, it's like a one-time purchase kind of thing. I love that. That sounds so cool. Like that's something that I definitely would want to look into because I think, again, what we were talking about is meditation and mindfulness can be so intimidating, but when you have something like that, that's literally walking you through how to do it. It makes it so much more tangible. Totally. Because also we have we hear that apps are important and all that jazz, but nobody really talks about the difference between mindfulness meditation, uh, the nature of the wandering mind. No one really talks about that before they begin their meditations. And, and I think that's really important because you need to be set up for success. You need to know what, what to expect, what the quote unquote goals is, like what meditation is. All that stuff is so important. And so I walk you through those foundations so that you can feel confident in your meditation practice. Um, you know, because just grabbing an app is super cool. And I think apps are great, but they're not giving you that foundational information that helps you feel really like strong in moving forward in your practice. So before we wrap it up, I do want to talk about what someone can do right now to practice mindfulness and meditation besides purchasing your guide. Um, In terms of like, is there books? Is there certain meditation tools per se that you would like, like music or like a podcast or something. What can someone do right now that's listening to start? Yes. Listen to music. Um, I think you can, you can meditate to music and all of us listen to music in our own way. Find a song that you love, close your eyes and be present. Um, Listen to that book. You can download meditation apps. Um, I really like Insight Timer and I really like Calm. Just know that when you choose those meditations, like it's okay if your mind wanders, it's okay if you can't get through it. Um, That is part of the practice. Um, In terms of resources and books, I really like the book 10% Happier. Um, It's from Dan Harris, who was a news anchor and he sort of had this like psychotic break and then well, he just had so much anxiety that it kind of, he kind of, it, it all happened at one time and he just couldn't do his job anymore. And so he started researching 
meditation and now it's something that he really loves and he writes in such an accessible way. Definitely good for the doubters out there who are unsure about meditation. Um, and then Pima Chodron is such a beautiful author. Um, she writes a lot about meditation and um, more of the emotional aspect of the practice. So um, if you're interested in that. Um, ooh, and then just an interesting thing about the brain. I listened to this podcast called Quick Brain. Mm. Um, and it's from a, a guy named Jim Quick. And he just gives these really cool short episodes on the power of breath or, um, and just about how we can improve our brain. And a lot of that has to do with mindfulness, meditation, ritual and routine. Um, so those are a lot of great. Also come to my Instagram. Honestly, if you don't follow my Instagram, like do, because I am super, um, I'm, I'm really, I'm there often and I communicate with the people who DM me and ask me questions like, and I do guided meditations on there sometimes. Like you can go to my IGTVs and find a ton. So there are a lot of resources there. Um, I can totally, I can totally vouch for that too. When I was stalking you, I was like really diving deep into your meditation videos and I found them so helpful. So for everybody, where can they find you on Instagram? Woodhull Wellness. That is my Instagram. So W-O-O-D-H-U-L-L Wellness. Um, and you can find me at woodhullwellness.com as well. But And if somebody wants to work with you, would they just find you on your website? Yeah, they can find me on my website and, and email me or you can DM me um, both work. If you go to my Instagram, there's a link to my email. So you'll find my email, but it's woodhallwellness at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Molly. This was yeah. so great. Amanda, it really was such an easy, fun, natural combo. Yeah.